0: Professional development isn't all good books, workshops, and smart podcasts. Sometimes it's good old-fashioned TV. There's a hit show on Hulu about a creme de la creme chef (laughs) who leaves the hallowed kitchens of Michelin star restaurants to run a down-on-its-luck but beloved sandwich shop in Chicago. It's called The Bear. Check it out. There's so much that can be said about these raw, complex, and endearing characters. But one that really jumped out to our Work Wisdom team is Richie. 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 Cousin Richie. Cousin. (laughs) He epitomizes growth mindset, emotional intelligence, and identity shifting. In season two, he has this pivotal interaction with a scenes dealing Olivia Coleman as Chef Terry, who gives a brief masterclass in values-aligned leadership and empowerment. So if you haven't seen it yet, you may want to come back and listen to this episode of The Behaviorist another time. Now that I got that spoiler alert out of the way, sit back, relax, and explore with us what we can all learn about our own personal change journeys from Richie and Terry. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Mike McKenna. Our intention for the Behaviors Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift towards joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on a constellation of positive organizational behavior principles that are correlated with growth. Research tells us that emotional intelligence is one of the key differentiators for effective leadership. We want to explore some themes gleaned from richie and the rest of the bears incredible cast for more effective empathetic leadership practice and i'm grateful to have my friends kedron crosby the founder of work wisdom vanessa filbert work wisdom associate and ceo of community action partnership joining me today today on the show together we'll explore the power of identity shifting the importance of emotional intelligence and ways to build yours And the gift that is empowerment from someone who believes in you. So, all three of us, big fans of the show. Huge.
1: I'm already crying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Vanessa, can you give our listeners a quick overview of Cousin Richie? What's he like, especially when we first meet him?
2: Oh, I think it's so interesting. So when you first meet Richie, he is a frustrated, cussing almost disruptor of the team. Mm -hmm. Unwilling to take Carmi's lead and thinking about change for the work that they're doing and Mm -hmm. the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. And really trying to think through, I think ultimately his role. And his behavior is directly correlated to his anxiety Mm -hmm. and insecurity. But that's not what shows up. What shows up is aggravated, Mm -hmm. agitated, um, disruptive, and really not always helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting because in that group, they—I uh, think what's interesting about this whole piece of work is that cousin Richie is unique because he does just doesn't work there; he's part of their family unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something really critical and complicated about relationships that move beyond the workplace and how do we manage them. Mm-hmm especially in times of change. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to work we through. We should
0: probably say for our listeners, what brought Chef Carmi yeah. from Michelin Star restaurants back to the sandwich shop is his brother who owned it had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And Richie was his brother's best friend. So part of the mix the here is deep grief. yeah, And everybody's trying to process it while also keeping this business running with a team that is just reeling with new leadership, new expectations, mm-hmm. new ways of doing things. So Kedron, Richie has quite the journey between season one, season yeah. two, even within season two itself. Who is he by the end of this incredible episode? It's called the Forks episode.
1: I think he's still evolving. Mm-hmm. I think he's still evolving, but he's made so much uh, progress. So you know, he was so resistant to change because uh, the past was the only identity that he mm-hmm. had. And so in order for him to move through the neutral zone to the new beginning, he had to go on this uh, hero's journey Mm. and discover himself and learn to really love himself. So I think he's still evolving by the end of the Forks episode, um, but he has learned to behave his way into self-love mm-hmm. uh he's he wears suits now yeah. mm-hmm. as he keeps as saying i wear suits now i wear mm-hmm. suits now yeah. um he's learned he's always been extremely empathetic but he's learned to be constructive mm-hmm. uh i think he's learned some things from chef terry about boundaries and you know when she says i don't do favors that mm-hmm. kind of blows his mind mm-hmm. so I, I think he's learned to be more confident um more insightful and just basically more constructive in how he communicates and how he sees himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something about, and maybe it's just a perspective
2: shift, that he starts to see belonging as really valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think prior to that moment in Forks, he can only focus on where he doesn't feel like he fits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's still about belonging, Mm -hmm. but it's the perspective in which he sees it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for much of those episodes, he's just feeling so out of place. Mm -hmm. And I think coming out of the Forks episode, he's trying to figure out where do I fit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while we're trying to solve for something, maybe the same thing, how we approach that solution does change everything. And I think that mindset shift for him is pretty significant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of, identity shifting, right? Mm -hmm. That can be really powerful when you are willing to do the work of growing in self-awareness, when you're willing to try out a new mindset or test some new behaviors that with time could turn into a habit. And it seems like we really see an identity shift happening with, with Richie. There's this incredible scene that I think resonated with a lot of viewers when he has an opportunity working at you know, what's called the best restaurant in the world. He gets a chance to work the floor. um, And there's a group of diners who are loving the experience of this, this restaurant, but they, he overhears them saying, but I still wish we had a Chicago deep dish. And then he makes it happen in a way that still fits with the vibe of a three-star restaurant, but just elevates sort of the personal level of that. Um, That moment felt like, Ooh, some of this mindset is shifting He's able to create some belonging for perfect strangers, really. Um, Kedron, was this Richie sort of discovering his superpower? What aspects of identity shifting were you seeing exercised in that moment?
1: Well, I think this one, uh, for me, that scene with the deep dish, uh, the star of that scene actually was Chef Jess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You think so too, Vanessa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was the one, uh, like Terry, she's always watching you know and so she had been noticing what Richie's superpowers were and she understood his DNA and she understood what would motivate him and so she she pulled on something that was core to his DNA which was Chicago working class and yeah Mm -hmm. hometown family Mm -hmm. you know food uh, and and she noticed the sparkle in his eye when when he said they want deep dish and uh, i mean when she said like there's gonna be a surprise and he was like deep dish and you're gonna make it happen Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so she leveraged his superpower uh but that's because she saw it in him Mm -hmm. before he saw it in himself yeah yeah. i think so Mm -hmm. so um so So I'm not sure I'm answering your question, Mike, but I I think that Richie discovered his superpower because Jess Mm -hmm. saw it and pulled it out of him.
2: I think environment's important. I mean, the whole week that he's there, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, giving a really menial task that he is frustrated with. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But he's in the center of, you know, an environment that works and functions very differently than where he's used to being. Um, So... I think this idea of like pulling out and leveraging what was unique and special to his gifts mm-hmm. in the midst of like they have a system mm-hmm. and it's working, right? I think it's a good lesson for leaders to identify that like you can be doing a good thing and still take a risk to elevate, to kind of illuminate that teammate, that colleague, because it will be additive in the long run. Mm-hmm. It's not the status quo.
1: Yeah, and right. I, I think too often leaders try and uh take a person and uh, truly shift their identity too far from what someone's Hmm. DNA is a fish cannot ride a bicycle yeah so I think as leaders uh, and as individuals we need to be clear about what's our DNA what's Mm -hmm. so core to us and then maybe remove some obstacles so that we can be more more organized and actualized and skillful Mm -hmm. Uh, but but i think chef just saw his dna Mm -hmm. and said okay we're going to give you some reps Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. your dna in this new way of being in in the culture that is our culture and then he knocked it out of the ballpark and that was so reinforcing for him yeah, that he's but he like did it I so, want more yeah
2: but he did it so authentically yeah. that engagement that interaction with the family right? was not like all of a sudden this like overly polished you know nah, it was polished for Richie yeah. but it was still authentic to who he was yeah. you know mm-hmm. he makes this joke about like that old fashioned is not going to drink itself like yeah. can I get you a gin and mm-hmm. coke you know like so there's still this genuineness authenticity about mm-hmm. him that he can recognize that he doesn't have to lose all of himself yeah. to show up And at another level that he's
0: now taking himself seriously, but he still knows how to have fun Fun, within that new context of being more serious about your work, more serious about your team.
2: And I think in the space when we think often about um, code switching and masking, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we think, especially as I speak for myself as a woman of color, you know, there's this idea that you have to strip away
3: Mm. the things
2: that make you you to be able to arrive at the next level. And I think what I thought was so beautiful about Richie in that moment was he's leveling up, but he's taking himself with mm, him. Yeah.
0: Love that.
1: Yeah. Even even the drink that he oh, suggested, yeah. I think it was a very Chicago yeah, it was like working a, class. Yeah, <laughs> you know. very much so. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think that's the takeaway on this one is identity shifting really is just sort of uh, removing uh, obstacles to find your identity and and maybe some new habits mm-hmm. um, to make you more confident and maybe more organized uh, uh, in executing on the identity that's already there. I think when people try and shift identity, it feels inauthentic mm-hmm. and fake. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the way to grow in inner authority and confidence.
2: Yeah. It's a big difference shifting from shedding. Mm-hmm. Not asking people yeah. to shed their identity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. that, that definition is really
0: helpful. Kendrick. Yeah, it's additive and not uh, extracting or subtracting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I could imagine Richie sort of asking himself over the course of this episode is some useful questions that we talk about here at Work Wisdom that comes from the work of Byron Katie. And they're questions for authentic self communication. So, you're telling yourself a story, and sometimes that story, is the obstacle that you need to remove Mm -hmm. to actually shift your identity. So you ask yourself these questions. Is the story I'm telling myself true? Am I absolutely sure it's true? How do I react when I believe this thought? And four, what would I be without that thought? And I think, Vanessa, to your description of him, he was being disruptive, he was Mm -hmm. being frustrated. It it was like this narrative that like, I don't fit, but I still know better. And when he started asking himself a different question or or answering these questions rather saying i'm actually not sure that it's true based on who i could be at at, ever you know at the the really high-end restaurant he discovered some different answers to those questions so i'm wondering vanessa would you be willing to share about a time you felt like maybe you were telling yourself a narrative that wasn't helpful maybe it led to some frustration or resentment but then you had a spark or an encounter or a conversation that helped you sort of flip that narrative on its head.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have some more recent ones that I'll wait for because I'm still processing through them. Um, but I, I do think back to when I you know, was shifting from the chief operating role at Community Action to the CEO role, and there was a lot of narratives going on, um, but specifically ones around like competency mm-hmm. and do I have what it takes, Um, comparing myself to the former, you know, CEO and a style or an approach that I thought was maybe the way Mm -hmm. because I'd never been in that spot and really having to navigate through this idea of like, do I even want this opportunity Mm -hmm. if I can't unsubscribe from the story? Yeah. And, you know, I had a lot of support and push and I got to that place. But, you know, the first I remember the first few weeks, there's so much feeling of like, what am I doing here, you know? And that, that having people in your life who can challenge you to say like, where is that story coming from? Mm-hmm. But the last question that you shared here about, what would I be without the thought? I think that's the question that releases, unleashes, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I came into the role of CEO, it was 2019, two months later, we're in COVID. And, you know, while leading during COVID was hard for all of us, living through COVID was hard Mm -hmm. for all of us, Um, in retrospect, as I reflect, it was the kind of urgency that I needed to grab onto with my leadership approach because I do work well under pressure and I do work well in crisis. So it gave me a little bit of like a soft landing ground to get my feet under me. Mm -hmm. But I remember being at... I think uh,
0: to Kedron's point as well, like, Stripping away mm-hmm. some of the distractions. If oh you my will, gosh! And yeah. Focusing on one thing. What needs to yeah. be the priority mm-hmm. and something that you're naturally so gifted at. Yeah, sort of mm-hmm. bringing a group of people together, casting an inspiring vision, despite you know the hardship. Yeah,
2: and I think that comes from like some of us. It's part of our lived experience, right? Um, and some of us are leadership experiences, but I remember working through that process and you know, kind of going at it every day and feeling like, okay, I think I'm doing it okay. But I remember being uh, maybe a year later at a community conversation, and I was serving on a panel, and I had a colleague who I had known for 15 years, someone who I you know appreciated, respected, who had been in the work longer than I had, and as we wrap up this panel conversation, she leans over to me and she says, that's who I was looking for. Wow. And I remember her telling me a year before when I got the promotion, she was like, I really need you to show up, I need you to lean in, I need you to be really confident. And I'm a pretty extroverted person, so you think that all that happens automatically. Mm -hmm. But she noticed that I didn't always lean in that wow. I wasn't fully confident mm. in the room. Hmm. And in that moment, I realized that I had grown to hmm. another place and it kind of clicked. And there is something about how That's you show up, powerful. how yeah. you sit in yourself, you know, how you lean in, that that moment was transformative for hmm. me.
3: Hmm.
1: I feel like that's a lot like what happened with Chef Terry. Mm-hmm. So so, you know, when Richie calls Carmi and he's got his cognitive distortions going through the phone and he's like, You wanted me to fail, and mm-hmm. you sent me there because you knew I would fail. And so he was, he was not asking himself, is this true? Is it absolutely true? <laughs> you know, he was not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Carmy, of course, was trying to make sure fact didn't kill himself at the same time so (laughs) technically really kill himself as a typical leader was so busy he couldn't address the cognitive distortions but it was chef terry when she said to him "Carmi said that you're good with people yeah that that it clicked for him but i think uh like your story i think richie had landed on i'm good with people before Terry said it to mm-hmm. him, and mm-hmm. I think you had landed mm-hmm. on "I'm good at this." Yeah. Before that, community yeah. partner but said, "That's who that I'm." Validation. Yeah. That but the mirror. Yeah. Others saying it to us can can really uh, help us. Yeah, for sure. And I think
2: too, it's something unique about. Um, I think in Richie's instance, my instance, maybe it's also something interesting when it's not the folks that you're usually around.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you yeah. know
2: it feels kind of different like how do you really know it's that, surreal you know yeah. it feels a little surreal yeah um but it makes you really trust that thing that's in you mm-hmm. that believes that about yourself but is a too afraid to say it out loud
3: yeah
2: yeah and i think that was a great experience for richie it it, sh- it pays off in the future future yeah. episodes for sure yeah. and
0: to your point around evolving like if yeah if he can kind of keep asking himself those questions season three i think the capacity for him to really lead the team in a different way and contribute to the team in a different way is going to be super powerful another theme that i really want to talk to you both about is emotional intelligence right at work wisdom we talk about emotional intelligence all the time um one of the dimensions of emotional intelligence that i think he demonstrates um Not always, (laughs) but at at key moments throughout the show is high empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, It it does show up in a big way in the second half of of the second season. Um, He's uniquely positioned to respond to his colleagues in ways that they need, in the moments that they need. Um, I don't want to be giving away another spoiler for the end of season two, but there's, we'll say, a moment of chaos and crisis at the Mm -hmm. end of season two. Um, when they're opening the the new restaurant um, and he engages Sydney in a, a really um, constructive way to, to borrow uh, a word that you use Kedrin um, so we're in this moment of vuca right mm-hmm. volatility uncertainty complexity ambiguity happening in the in the kitchen at this pivotal moment a soft opening of this restaurant they worked so hard on um, but it applies For all of us in all different settings, right? Mm -hmm. Emotional intelligence can be a game-changer In those complex environments. So how can we draw on that emotional intelligence? To navigate uncertainty and then to foster resonance, right? Which is ultimately sort of the goal of effective emotional intelligence um, resonance across the whole team
1: Yeah, I think that Richie is well positioned uh, to to be able to flourish in a volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous environment i believe it was the episode before forks was the seven fishes Mm -hmm. episode the christmas dinner um with jamie lee curtis and it is the epitome of volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous. First of is all,
2: big claps for Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, wow, amazing, wow, wow. amazing, <laughs> amazing. Uh,
1: everyone. Um, I mean, the the entire the teamwork on the show is just breathtaking. Um, so I think that you know, in my thinking, Richie has grown up really in this kind of VUCA environment, and has emotional intelligence, but is not skillful in how he uses it. You know, he has definitely been learning how to solve problems when emotions are involved. He has learned assertiveness, but not constructive assertiveness. Mm-hmm. He's learned self-actualization, but not constructive self-actualization. <laughs> you know, because it's family culture, yeah. whether you think of it as family culture in a family or an organization, and he's and he's learned resistance uh, to transition and because things were... Um, Stunted because of addictions, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he just never really learned how to be skillful in his superpowers. So I feel like when he goes to the best restaurant ever and he gets to learn from Garrett, Mm -hmm. who is the king of radical candor Mm -hmm. and constructive assertiveness, and Terry, who's the queen of boundaries and inner authority and self-actualization, Um, And Chef Jess, uh, Mm -hmm. who's a mindful listener uh, and a skillful self-actualizer, he's finally getting a chance to learn how to use these powers, you know, so – did I answer your question you at too. all? Yes. Yeah. I think I have a follow up question. If that's allowed, is that
0: allowed, Mike? I, I will allow. I, oh I, I will yield Everybody, my time. Listen. I Mike, will yield give my time. <laughs> I just have
2: a question. This term emotional intelligence we lean in and use often. And I'm wondering what advice maybe Mike or you have about how do we activate emotional intelligence and manage our emotions? Because it's, you know, there's the person yes. who's also reacting to the VUCA environment yeah. and maybe the frustration, the challenge of the team.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then you're trying to dial in to these skills and gifts that you have and try to like, yeah. turn up what should work and dial mm-hmm. down what doesn't work. So any advice you would have about yeah. like, what's the thing that helps to protect or just create safety?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I could talk about this for months. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to talk about this. Uh, so very often, it starts with knowledge, your own self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. What are my gifts? And then it's awareness of how am I using my gifts and it's awareness of the other person. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at this space between you and the other person mm-hmm. to figure out what do I deploy now mm. and how much. And uh, so I I believe tapping the brakes is really critical. I think Mm -hmm. slowing things down Mm -hmm. uh, is unusual.
0: Very powerful. Yeah. Creating some distance from the feeling and the reaction. Yeah. So that
1: pause practice, tapping the brakes, we got a million little, you know, heuristics for (laughs) how to do that. Um, But something that I've been finding to be very helpful for a lot of my clients lately is uh, Leap to Leader, this Mm -hmm. new book out Mm -hmm. by Adam Bryant, And in in the article in HBR, he talks about operating in a narrow band of emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of blown the minds of a lot of leaders who've been very steeped in authenticity Mm -hmm. um, because they're recognizing, in order to stay resonant Mm -hmm. and to have a constructive outcome, Mm I might need to not wear it all on my sleeve. Yeah. And and there's that authenticity paradox that, you know, has gotten some folks into trouble. Yeah, and so this notion that that's
0: great. Your emotions as a leader are perhaps even more contagious than yeah. your emotions if you're sitting somewhere else on the team. Yeah. so that narrower band helps you limit any spread of emotions that could be counterproductive yeah. to what you're mm-hmm. trying
1: that's to great. accomplish. And there's one more, uh, it's a visualization that mm-hmm. helps a lot, is the Freud idea of the horse and the rider. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, our emotions, Richie's emotions are the horse, and he's the rider. Mm-hmm. And I think in Forks he gets that he he's the rider. Yeah. He's not the horse. Yeah. And so when that mouse runs across the street, and rah, you mm-hmm. know, the wit- he can keep on going. Yeah. So I think that recognizing we're not the horse is really helpful. That's really talking about
0: a mindset shift. Yeah. Thanks for that, Vanessa. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I appreciate that.
0: The uh, last thing we're going to explore together is one uh, that I think you both do um, as naturally as breathing. At least that's how, <laughs> how I've received it from you over the years. But it's this idea of empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. You're both gifted at, at creating paths for growth. About showing and cultivating trust um we see Carmi uh so chef Carmi is um the head chef of of the restaurant um he's been battling his own demons in both seasons but he does two things that are really instructive for leaders i think in any sector First, he and his executive chef, his right hand, Sydney, they established a ground rule for psychological safety. They had some really Mm -hmm. destructive uh, arguments Mm -hmm. in in earlier episodes. So now when one of them feels overwhelmed or hurt by something the other one's saying, they literally sign to each other, sort of rubbing their fist over their chest. You probably are hearing that on our mics because we're doing it right now, too. (laughs) Um, And... It stops the escalation mm-hmm. in its place, and it sort of creates that distance um, that they need to say, who
3: mm-hmm. we are on
0: the same team here. Yeah. We might be disagreeing, but we are on the same team, and then that gives them a chance also to also think about maybe mm-hmm. where their roles are yeah. and the respective decision-making in that case. The other thing that Carmi does that I think is really powerful is he puts each team member in an environment where they can discover and develop their unique gifts. We've talked a lot about Richie's immersion mm-hmm. at Ever, um, the best restaurant in the world, but each member of the team has a chance to sort of level up in an environment that is challenging, but really does tap into to their identity. Um, and I think Richie, among all of those, probably felt the most lost. Mm-hmm. Um, kept sort of wrestling with this idea, as you said earlier on, Vanessa, like, where does he fit? Um, But then he is able, because of this trust that Carmi has, um, the empowerment that Jess and Chef Terry and Chef Carmi are all showing him, um, to sort of live into this uh, different version of himself. So um, we'll sort of popcorn to both of you here. Kedrin, you're first.
1: Yeah.
0: How can leaders, you know, outside of the culinary industry, culinary industry has had this notion of stodging, right, mm-hmm. from the um, going to places to perform certain jobs to to build your skill set. But outside of the culinary sector, how can other leaders try to foster a growth environment for members of their team that will help them to level up?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many. Of course, I go to the the ones that Work Wisdom preaches constantly, Um, but, you know, just in really concrete ways, I think uh, exposing them to extraordinary people in their area of expertise is critical. So, for example, here we have a practice that everyone on our team has a coach outside of Work Wisdom that is an expert in their field so janine works with uh joey McMonigal, who's the chief business mm-hmm. development officer at atomic uh ali works with uh jason james mm-hmm. you know quarterly everybody's got their coaching jason james is the creative director of fig uh, sarah works with uh nate shea at secure so um so they're learning from experts and then they're bringing back that good knowledge, just like they did, <clears throat> just like they did on the bear. So that that's one way. You know, I think about how um, also Tina was so happy when she opened the box of new pans. Mm-hmm. You know, just so happy and felt so empowered. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a matter of listening and providing the resource mm-hmm. um, that's going to make them really flourish. Those are those are a couple of ways that I think you know, we we can think about it in a very concrete way.
0: I love that. Vanessa, think about that special dynamic between Sydney and Carmi, mm-hmm. create some psychological safety. How can you pull a Carmi for your team?
2: Yeah, I, th- I would say, too, I know you mentioned how, like, that signal creates a pause to kind of pull back. Um, and I think I see it both ways. It's a pullback, but it's a call-in. It's like this reminder of, like, center with me. Mm -hmm. We are both human people Mm -hmm. who care about this thing. Yeah. And, like, let's regroup here, Mm. you know? So it's not just about me taking a breath. It's about me acknowledging, because if you look at every scene that that happens, there is direct eye contact. Mm -hmm. There is a leaning in that happens Mm -hmm. of acknowledging, you know, okay, I get it, I see it. And, you know, mm-hmm. then they kind of check back in. It's like a, in. it's an
0: actual meaningful repair. Yeah.
2: And it's this checking in of saying, are we good? Mm-hmm. We're good.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, we're
2: kind of back on course. So, you know, I I really appreciated that. And, you know, when I think about, um, you know, how do we do that effectively from a leadership perspective? I agree this idea of exposure and experience, you know, so folks can feel educated. But I think there's something, I don't know, spiritual mm-hmm. about edification.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think the combination of those things is what edifies us to feel like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this person believes in me enough
3: mm-hmm.
2: that they are willing to sharpen, grow me up, skill me up in this area. Um, what I thought was probably unique and I'm trying to always consider is Carmi was approaching, in Sydney, a very person centered approach of professional development.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And each one of those teammates needed something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were willing to do it just like that. It wasn't like they were sending the whole team to a conference and everyone, no, it was really person-centered. Um, but I, what I was maybe most appreciative of um, is sometimes the folks receiving the experience, the education, the edification, don't get it in yeah. the real time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, Tina was, like, you know, not happy about all the changes. She yeah. was kind of oppositional. Richie clearly was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I forgot that gentleman's name that went with Tina to school and just was so overwhelmed by the yeah. new experience that he kind of pulled Great. out.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, Marcus was leaning in, but, you know, there was some frustration because he was so excited about the new thing that he wasn't keeping up with the demand of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think about this space of how do we build trust and empowerment, it's also maybe over communicating
3: mm-hmm. what you're
2: trying to develop
3: mm-hmm. because
2: it was oh, it wasn't always clear mm-hmm. i think they weren't always sure why they were getting sent you know what this was about mm-hmm. but there was um, noticing that Carmi and sydney were doing with their team and i think that's the balance Um, Or maybe a refined approach of saying, how do I notice it and create language to it Mm -hmm. so that when there is push or pull or investment or sometimes, you know, realizing that I have to pull things off your plate to build capacity, to level you up in this next space that people don't see that as punitive.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And there was a lot of that with Richie, right? He was really upset and really felt like it was punishment. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the gifts of empowerment and trust. It's not just offering it. It's helping people see the path to it, mm-hmm. so that they have yes. appreciation for the journey.
0: Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have made it for as good television, but no, it would have been but instructive for us as leaders to see, like, here's what that feedback loop looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I do see this in you, yeah. And mm-hmm. here's how this experience is going to help yeah. you, and then creating that space for reflection. I know a lot of times in my growth journey, you know, the growth happens on the edge of discomfort. Mm-hmm. But if i don't have time for some reflection maybe it's writing or processing with someone like i might have just stayed in the discomfort and never got to the lessons yeah um and so that's uh something that's so critical i love this notion of like the leader is noticing something about their team member but then they're adding the language that communicates clearly sort of the the message of the why for this particular experience i think it will
2: help um maybe uncover if that recipient, that team member, doesn't really believe what you've noticed,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? And then right. that can help, there's something that you can be doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they have, they've been hearing it in themselves and, you know, they get to now verbalize it at a safe place. Mm-hmm. I think both of those experiences can be transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had experiences in different elements of my life where I felt like I was clear about something that was happening in me and maybe what I was called to do or wanted to do or skilled to do, and wasn't always given the affirmation. Mm. And that stunts your growth. It makes you start to question your own discernment about what you know about you. But when you're in those environments where people call it out and they say, I see it too. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I see it and I'm gonna invest in it. That's, I think, the thing that opens you up.
1: I I think what was so impressive about the Forks episode was um, the psychological safety that was modeled when the smudge happened, oh, the smudge, the smudge.
2: Mm-hmm. the
1: smudge. They talked about smudge. Oh my
2: God, so much smudging.
1: Uh, a lot, yeah. and but uh, but the high expectations mm-hmm. combined with psychological safety. That's what creates high performance, and so they were not willing to let that go, and so when I, I forget the name of the man who who said, you know, yeah, of course we can make mistakes here. But we have to own oh, yeah. it mm-hmm. with integrity and learn from it, you know. And um, and I think that was just beautiful mm-hmm. because that shows the culture that is going to last forever and in that organization. Yeah. yeah, shared yeah. the whole team. Yeah.
0: So I think we'll uh, want to end by celebrating a little bit more, Chef Terry. Mm. So Olivia Coleman's character. Um, We saw in season one, stressed out, hypercritical chefs. There's some really intense flashbacks for uh, Carmi's old boss who's played by a very mean Joel McHale. (laughs) Um, And and then we get Chef Terry, who has a totally different demeanor Mm -hmm. um, and who's sort of giving lessons quietly yet generously. Um, I think there's this congruence between her values and her behavior. And then you're like, hmm not surprised the results she's achieving truly this is somebody who could create perhaps the best restaurant in the world um how can leaders work on that alignment um of their values their behavior and and how especially their behavior when they're interacting with in this case richie was effectively a stranger he'd been part of the team for a week but they didn't really know each other um any things from chef terry that you think we should pull out that maybe we haven't covered yet Mm
1: -hmm. well i I thought it was poetic the way that at at the very beginning they had the voice of coach k they had Mm -hmm. coach k i don't know anything about sports but he's Mm -hmm. in the world of sports and you know talking about mindful Mm -hmm. listening and teamwork and how we solve problems and then chef Terry is living all those things that Coach K was talking about at the very beginning. So I thought just, you know, filmmaking-wise, that was mm-hmm. very cool. Um, I think one of the lessons that she gives so generously is uh, the growth is in the struggle. And, mm. you know, freedom mm. just another word for nothing left to lose. You know, when she tells the story about having lost everything mm-hmm. so publicly and uh, because of her arrogance, um, and how freeing that was for her, because then she could take a second risk, and no biggie mm-hmm. if she failed mm-hmm. again. Who cares? Right. She's done it before. So, I think that was really important. That idea of inner authority and um, paving paving the way to really being exceptional and having peace and joy Um, so I think that was part of it and and then you know um, I think that she's a very good listener I think that they they say it several times in the episode chef Terry sees everything Mm -hmm. or chef Terry's watching or something like that so she's really attuned to the talents of others and so she has gotten to be an expert at organizing the talent of others um with very high standards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that those are some of the um some of the big lessons that we that we get from Chef Terry that I got from Chef Terry.
0: I love that. Thank you. Vanessa, you have a a knack for empowerment. I've seen it in practice. What uh, from that interaction that Richie and Chef Terry had, what resonated with you?
2: Well, I think well, what I know is the first part of maybe what impacted me was that she's standing there, peeling mushrooms, mm-hmm. and Richie says, "Why don't you have people to do that for you? Like, why? Why would you? Yeah, be doing that?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so one, it's this attention to detail. Mm-hmm. But I think what was more empower, maybe powerful for me was, it was about her service
3: mm-hmm. to the
2: expectation. And to model that for her team. Mm. That, you know, at the level of leadership that she is, with the level of responsibilities that she has, that she still finds it important and respects the gift of like peeling the mushrooms, such as tiny little detail on a plate. I mean, that is mm-hmm. m- micro tiny. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and at that one was really fascinating to me as mm-hmm. someone who doesn't really believe in traditional servant mm-hmm. leadership. And I watched her language and played it over a couple of times because it seemed like an act of service, but then she said it's important for her so she feels attached. Connected. Mm-hmm. Connected to the diner. And so it's, it, it was amazing to me because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, she's doing this menial thing, so she feels truly connected mm-hmm. to the diner. Uh it's and a little different than servant leadership yeah. Mother I
0: think. Teresa quote doing small things with great love yeah. yeah yeah,
1: and I think for me it's
2: really the place I remember as I kind of elevated in the organization you know my heart for people mm-hmm. is really what drives the mm-hmm. work that I do and especially you know in an organization like ours in a place where I was a customer of those services mm-hmm. so as I was yeah. promoted over the years um, I had this fear of feeling disconnected yeah Mm-hmm. And that little scene mm-hmm. reminded me and gave me permission to say that's why that thing that you do, that's why when you come in and you're saying good morning to our guests or mm-hmm. cu- you know our customers or you know there's just little details mm-hmm. if someone's unsure about how to get to a service that I will stop and like talk it through with them and mm-hmm. walk them to a place um, within the building and it just gave me permission to recognize mm-hmm. that like it's not just about like serving leadership in the traditional way of like, yeah. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves mm-hmm. and do anything. It's about recognizing that it is um, a little selfish because I want to feel connected mm-hmm. to the thing that called me mm-hmm. there. And that's what I, I felt with Chef Terry. But I also, you know, really appreciated her clarity and confidence. Yeah. There is a there is a aura, mm-hmm. a presence that mm-hmm. she holds that doesn't feel like it's consuming the room, mm-hmm. but was really creating, creating space because Richie was asking her lots of questions and she was very available
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: to answer and to respond mm-hmm. and to find where their stories were similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something really powerful about those mm-hmm. moments where we get to just slow down and see people and check in and uh, deep appreciation for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, The peace that she has. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you, it's rare to find a leader who's just so emanating mm-hmm. peace. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think the other thing I'll say is that, you know, she talked about how she lost everything and how she, you know, was in this really dark place of grief and frustration. And, you know, she mentioned I was 38 and depressed. And and it was such an interesting reflection because Richie often talked about how old he was.
1: Yeah, I noticed.
2: And, you know, I'm 45 and I don't have anything figured out. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone else on the team was, a you know, in the work of cooking or chefing. And that wasn't his role. But you know this identity piece around trying to challenge yourself around like where you think you should be at a certain time in your life, she kind of reset that for mm-hmm. him did said, I, didn't, I tried it all, I was young, I was ambitious, I was arrogant, and I lost it all, mm-hmm. and I still came to this place later on. And I think that also was a space where Richie could be inspired to say it's not too late. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And then sort of putting those arbitrary mm-hmm. targets is actually one of those stories we tell ourselves that's That's not absolutely true. Uh, I think Chef Terry's model is a good note to end on. I wanna thank you both, uh, Kedra and Vanessa. As always, so many valuable nuggets. Um, I get lucky to be in the host chair today, but scribbling my notes here, I'm like, ooh, a lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom that you've shared that I wanna uh, apply to my own leadership practice. Um, And I think it's, in both cases, sort of why you do what you do. It's about uplifting people, Mm -hmm. right? And that's powerful.
1: And I wonder if the story of this episode is really um, not just Richie falling in love with himself, learning to love himself, but learning to love work. Mm -hmm. I I wondered if that's why they use the Taylor Swift song. Oh, yeah. love. You know, like, I think he was learning to love... Uh, love himself through work and it's something we don't really talk about much But I, th- I that was something I took away mm-hmm. from this So I, I know you're trying to close us up Mike, but <laughs> I just wanted to get that in there That's, I think do you think that yeah, that was part that, of that, this. Oh my that connection yeah, is absolutely. There. Yeah, yeah, okay
0: um, Had he not had that uh, connection through work the he would have stayed in the same space where yeah. he'd always been, frustrated, yeah. disaffected, disconnected.
1: Sad. And yeah. not
0: seeing that he actually did bring great value yeah. and that he was worthy of love.
1: Yeah, so I think work... It- is very important in finding meaning and our identities, and and I, I also think it's great that they use that Taylor Swift song yeah. in that way.
2: And I think it's just <laughs> something something for us to consider is that you know different generations lean into different things, and you know as we think about a younger generation who is trying to. Comp- Feel, feel purpose and belonging outside of work mm-hmm. you know how do we create and find balance and like there is something about the workplace that does help you grow into yourself and yeah. you can mm-hmm. love yeah. mm-hmm. and you can still be full and out there in your other parts of your life yeah. you know it doesn't have to be all or nothing
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's not a uh, it's not a trendy idea right is it it's very countercultural to yeah. say I love work. what I do yeah.
2: yeah
0: right that's a place you can flourish and be full of yourself yeah Uh, We said we would have three main themes. I think we've covered so many more than that, (laughs) but I want to do a quick recap for our listeners of some key takeaways. Our theme of identity shifting. We talked about this notion that often when you think about shifting your identity and sometimes as leaders thinking about your own team members, you're trying to strip away something to fit somebody in a mold that maybe isn't the best fit for them, but really it's about adding and it's about removing obstacles maybe the thing that's being added is some new habits around confidence and organization, but they're still fully themselves. Um, And sometimes the obstacles is what the greatest gift the leader can give to the team members, get those out of the way and really let them shine. Um, Second theme, emotional intelligence um, encouraged our listeners to check out leap to leader and this notion of operating within a narrow band of emotions and that that actually is aligned with the idea of being an authentic leader um, and that perhaps, well, certainly all of us do have uh, the dimensions of emotional intelligence, but your job as a leader is to be particularly skillful at those. And that journey is an ongoing journey. Um, and then lastly, this notion of the connection between psychological safety, trust, and empowerment. Um, and one of the things that effective leaders can do is listen very carefully, notice very carefully, what is it that your team members are hungry for, that they may have capacity for, then provide those resources. Um, And for yourself, knowing when there's times where you need to pull back while also respond to being called in, especially in moments of tension and conflict. Um, I think Vanessa, you said see it and then invest in it. And when it's appropriate don't forget to peel the mushrooms stay connected to the reason that you're doing this work in the first place so i'm grateful to you both for being part of the movement to help others in their workplace um to enhance their individual and their collective team performance i'm thankful to you listeners for downloading the behaviors we hope you'll subscribe if you really like this one we'll do another one about the bear (laughs) or maybe some other popular tv show um Check out our website, workwisdomllc.com. You can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions. You can ask us questions. And we always welcome suggestions of new topics we can cover in future episodes of The Behaviorist. As is our custom, I will leave you with a quote. This one comes from Parker Palmer's incredible book, Let Your Life Speak. Some journeys are direct and some are circuitous. Some are heroic and some are fearful and muddled. But every journey honestly undertaken stands a chance of taking us towards the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need.